Welcome to Heart Shaped Pod, a Nirvana fan podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Travis Clark. Hey, everybody, welcome to Heart Shaped Pod. I'm Adam Todd Brown. I remain Travis fucking Clark. Travis fucking Clark. <laughs> I wish Todd meant fucking in some foreign language. You know, it, it might in like high Valerian. Well, in German, it means death. The way it's the way Dude, my Dude, Adam Death Brown. Yeah, that's I, amazing. I just found that out a few years ago. Well, who the fuck was naming their children Death? My mom named my middle name's Todd, and she just always thought the two D's looked stupid, so she made it one D, and T O D in German is death. And T A D in grunge is a uh, heavy man who never quite uh, got the success he wanted. I think it's uh, success that he hasn't met T O D yet. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because Tad doesn't seem like a healthy guy. No, but he's an interesting guy. He's very interesting. He doesn't come up much in this section uh, that we're uh, he was talk mentioned about. early a little bit because they're on tour with him again, right? Yeah, they, but they, they, but then after that they kind of fades back into the background. Yeah, when we when we left off with the the story of Nirvana, ah, uh, the story of Nirvana. I remember it as if it were <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> they had just finished their first European tour, which was chaos. Uh, didn't go as planned. Didn't yeah. Went went badly, and yet, but then they had that amazing show in London, right? That that everybody claims you had to be there for, unless they were there, and then they were like, "No, it wasn't that great." Right, right. And weirdly enough, they also have that show during this episode. There's oh. also one of those shows that's <laughs> that show that turned everything. I think this is the third show that changed everything. Because <laughs> remember, there was the one in the dorm. There was in, yeah, the K dorm or whatever. The K dorm yeah. show that changed everything. And that changed everything. And then there was the London show. And now there's going to be in this episode a, a New York sh- show that changes. That Travis, does it change everything? It changes everything. It's amazing. At some point, does someone get drunk and urinate on something? Obviously. I mean, right? I mean, you have to. I'm going to guess. Part of the Nirvana story. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, the Nirvana story. <laughs> as I remember it, as passive aggressive as it were the day I heard it. Oh, what a passive aggressive piece of <laughs> shit Kurt Cobain was. I tell you, I have enjoyed doing this podcast with you. I'm enjoying learning more about the band. What I'm not getting is becoming a bigger fan of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. I am not. I am further uh, down the road. Of being not a Kurt Cobain fan than when we started. Right. Which, I guess that's that's natural. Like, almost every really big, iconic musician, actor, anything, once you really start looking into them, there's some flaws there. Well, sure. Look, I mean, if I were somebody you wanted to look into, there'd be numerous things in my past that you'd go, fuck that guy. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't get the middle name fucking for nothing. You right. know? That's and, true. You know? That's true. You did earn it. I did very, very hard. But it is weird to have like an entry point of being like putting an artist on a pedestal and then realizing, nope, yep. uh, I wouldn't even like that person in real life. Yeah. I would probably avoid that person. Yeah. He, he comes off in all of these books as someone who's really nice and charming initially. And, and then you meet him. <laughs> and then the more you get comfortable with him, the more comfortable he is being a real piece of shit yeah. to you. And I'm gonna put some of that on. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take a stab in the dark here, and a little armchair therapist. I think he suffered from depression. Would there, be my yeah, guess. Yeah. 
Uh, and chronic pain, being someone who suffered from chronic pain, that does make you not the nicest person. True. So I want to give him a little bit of leeway, but he's not making it easy. His business dealings are the problem. Oof. It's one thing to be a shithead personally, but... You know what? Yeah, he was a professional asshole. Yeah, he, he really, really was. He was uh, literally a professional asshole. Yeah. That's kind of the, the thesis of this episode. <laughs> Kurt Cobain. And now we shall attempt to prove yeah. it. Let's let's talk about Kurt Cobain breaking up with everyone in his life. In the least amicable way possible. Right. right. Yeah. Like back to back to back, too. Yeah. So quick. Ugh. It kind of it all started after they got back from their tour. I thought I thought this was interesting. They were booked a studio session at Reciprocal Studios, which have you ever seen that building? Uh-uh. Is that in Seattle? Yeah. It's Chris Walla from Death Cab for Cutie eventually bought it okay. and changed it to the Hall of Justice. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure the reason he named it that is it's on a section where two streets are kind of meeting in a V. Oh, okay. And it's at way at the end of that V, and it's just a long, kind of narrow, almost V-shaped building. That you would never expect it. It looks like a storage facility. Interesting. And that's Reciprocal Studios. I think it's still standing in Seattle. That just the fact that he calls it the Hall of Justice makes me wonder how many sludge metal bands call their studio the Hall of Doom. Like oh, how yeah. many goat whore guys <laughs> are sitting around calling their studio the 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 Hall of Doom. We got to do a goat whore podcast. Oh, man, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Because uh, that's a hardcore band. <laughs> <laughs> I saw so, goat whore once, and it's honestly, I, I like what, what, what you would expect goat whore to be is what they are live. It's sure. a bunch of dudes who you go, oh, your day job is warlock. Like, that's what you do <laughs> when you're not in this band. And they have like the spiky gauntlets on. Yeah. And people, normally, how like a band would go out and give someone a high five, this spindly dude with spiky gauntlets is punching people's fists yes. and making them bleed. I like it. While singing Fucked for Satan, you know? That sounds like good pod to it me. Was, uh, yeah, it was, it, yeah, I guess it was fun. It was pretty <laughs> great. But I, I thought this was interesting. They booked studio time at Reciprocal Studios January 2nd and 3rd just to record the song Sappy. Yeah, I found this interesting too, especially since it didn't have a high opinion. They didn't like it. Jack and Dino said it was... This is a quote. That was the first time he seemed fallible to me. Everything up till then had been amazing. Sappy just wasn't very good. He ended up recording it several times. Hmm. First time he seemed fallible? Guess he never saw the tub of turtles. Yeah, I guess. Exactly. He never lived with the man. He never had to live yeah. with him. They spent $500 recording that one version of Sappy. That's almost all of Bleach. Almost, almost what they spent on their album. <laughs> yeah. Just a little shy of $100. Or a little more than $100. And they don't have... Recorded uh, them another album. They don't have Jason um, Ever... Oh, well, Everman, yeah. Everman. They don't have Everman to borrow the money from now. So right. that's out-of-pocket money. Well, this was probably that Euro Tour money oh. left over. Oh, probably the, all of it. Sure, but that conversion rate, you know, <laughs> you're <laughs> screwed. That's true. Yeah, the last quote from Jack Andino, I told him he should just write some more songs. And he did. One of them, Lithium. Uh, which uh, was previewed later that spring when they shot four music videos on March 20th <laughs> in an Evergreen State College classroom with a couple friends. You know it's going to be good. We did, of find, course. we did find the video. We found the Radio Shack shoot, yeah. <laughs> which was just high production quality. This is a quote from one of the people who was there, uh, a cameraman named Alex Kostelnik. 
payment was $40 and some pizza. You know what? That's still what you would get paid in L.A. today. Yeah, at a good show. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. the, a show that you've been like campaigning to be on. Right. Yeah, that you're right. like, you know, we, we're pretty booked up. We'll get to you in a few months is what <laughs> the person who runs the show, who is also the MC, who is also the booker, says right. to you. Yes. <laughs> and that $40. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, and that sweet, sweet Little Caesars <laughs> hot and ready just waiting for you. Oh, so good. The band. Played- I've tried mailing some of those to my mortgage company. They don't care for it. <laughs> it's not how they prefer payment. The band played live while snippets of TV footage drawn from the numerous hours of meshed up video montages Kurt had taped in Olympia was projected behind them. Because, would you say of it was? Course, a, would you say it was a montage of heck? Would that be the uh, oh. what are you putting together there? Would that be? Let's look at this video. Uh, we don't. We definitely don't have to watch it all. But it is interesting how pretty well intact lithium is at this early stage because this is very pre. Never mind. Jesus, those drums are enormous. Yeah, they are. Those drums look like painters' buckets, like something you would ship municipal waste in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This that's is lithium. definitely music yeah. video quality. Oh. Poppy. I believe he's playing a Tiesco here. Yeah, it looks like it. I have a drummer buddy who calls his drums the tubs whenever he plays them. Uh-huh. This is the most tub-looking drum kit they I've ever seen. They are fucking massive. This yeah. is still Chad Channing on drums, which... R.I.P. soon, Elfin Magic. Yeah, buddy. I was rooting for you. Yeah. I really made, thought you were kind of the hero of this story. This is really high uh, high, oh. high quality stuff. It's always good when the audio cuts out <laughs> of your music video. Yeah. Always. Uh, it's called a video, Travis. So wait, was that like a blue screen where they were going to put the montage stuff yeah, in the background? Because it's must... not playing at the time. Yeah, we're just getting the, uh, the actual... Yeah, they're in front of like a blue screen. Yeah, and if I may, guys, I believe your mores are gobying or whatever that thing. There's too many shadows on that for it to <laughs> for it to for it to be lit properly to put to key out. Right. Okay, that's good. <laughs> what the fuck is Chris? I'm I'm not calling him Chris anymore. I'm not. We're doing not. It. We're not. And, and I'll get to. We'll yeah, get we to don't that. have to anymore. What is he wearing? He's yes. wearing what I remember as being like workout pants from the early. Yeah, they early like 90s. Zubas. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what they called them. Like, yeah, and remember there was a period of time where like they were tiger striped and they were tiger striped after like famous football teams. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. He looks so, like he has karate practice after this. <laughs> <laughs> or that he has to go work at a Benihana. <laughs> yeah. Puppies or, on board with the yeah, Benihana yeah. thing. I mean, you are killing it with the dog audience right now. This is canine comedy. This is just going to be a thing on the podcast It's fine, man. Look, as a fellow dog owner, I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. She's a good puppy. Oh, she's so sweet. She is so sweet. Yeah. Winter. Mm. Winter soldier Nisa. Yeah. I mean, just right away was totally comfortable putting her face in my crotch. She gave you a a paw. Yeah. Gave me a paw. Gave you a paw. Gave me a little shake shake. What a little sweetie. She's a good pup. I like her. So yeah, that was was their, their music video, Lithium. The, you can find it on the internet. Uh, it does actually take a little searching. Does it? But you found it. Yeah, search Nirvana Lithium in parentheses first live performance. To the listeners of the podcast, I'm going to tell you this. Don't make Adam mad, because he'll find everything. I will, yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. 
your investigatory abilities are uh, bar none. I actually got a letter from the Nirvana estate that said, whatever you do, don't play that lithium video. Well, too bad. And too bad. Here we are. I found it and mm-hmm. I played it. What we're going to do later is have a uh, photo shoot with the Nirvana estate. <laughs> It'll make sense later. <laughs> this is a quote from the Everett True biography, or Nirvana the biography by Everett True. I thought this was, this is kind of the turning point for Sub Pop and this Nirvana. This is where everything <laughs> changes. This is where it all changes. <laughs> Finally. On February 9th, Nirvana set out for another West Coast tour with Tad. Portland, San Jose, Sacramento, San Francisco, Long Beach, across the Mexican border to Tijuana, and back to Phoenix, Arizona. It was a welcome... That's a strange trajectory. Yeah, it is. I would have swung out and then gone down to Mexico, so you can just go... Just go right back up to yeah. California. Yeah. Makes sense. This is, the, this is the interesting part of this passage to me. It was a welcome break for Kurt and Chris from their life in Washington. They briefly started up their own office cleaning business. What the fuck is this? Pine Tree Janitorial advertised with the slogan, We purposely limit our number of commercial offices in order to personally clean while taking our time. Oddly enough, they didn't get any bookings. Well, then why'd they need a break, Everett? Right. What'd they need a break from? Also, too, you personally made it not... So you could be hired. You personally <laughs> made you sound like, oh, these are a bunch of fucking jackasses who don't do anything. <laughs> oh, well, you're going to take eight hours to vacuum? Fuck off. We'll get somebody who does it in one. Yeah, it sounds like they right. just want to crash at your office overnight. <laughs> yeah. They'll probably just want to use it, it to film a music is. video. <laughs> we'll clean up before we leave. Oh, God, don't, don't, I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to destroy everything and leave a little bit of money on the counter. Again, I'm forecasting this is going to come up. So this is around the time that they book studio space in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, Smart Studios. At Smart Studios with Butch Vig. And this is another passage from the book that I didn't like. Oh, yeah. I don't either. (laughs) Nowadays, Vig is best known for his work on Nevermind and as the drummer with mainstream goth band Garbage. But back then, he was renowned as the man behind albums from hard-ass underground rock bands like Kill Dozer and The Fluid. Garbage wasn't a goth band. Yeah, what the fuck? Shirley Manson wore dark eyeliner occasionally and had pale skin. Yeah, not a fucking goth band. They were a dark pop band? They were like Uh, an industrial pop band. They were not a fucking goth goth band. This guy's in... And just the... Best known for his work on Nevermind. And th- like the way he words it, it's like, yeah, you know him as that fuckhead from Nevermind. But remember when he produced Killdozer? And it's like, both no. of those things are cool. Right. But no, I don't remember Killdozer. Most people's entry point to Butch Vig, I'm going to guess, is not Killdozer. Absolutely And I not. liked Killdozer. And it wasn't until I re- that you told me th- that about Butch Vig. I had no idea he had anything to do with Killdozer. Because when you listen to Killdozer, they sound like their name. They sound like a bulldozer that's going to kill you. Right. And the guy who sings, he sings like that. Like, it's crazy. There's nothing about it where you go, what a well-produced album. You go, what a fucking massive sound. Yeah. What a, what a gnarly thing that's coming at you. It's not anything that's been finessed, in my opinion, from at least the Killdozer yeah. I listen to. Yeah. It's a hard connection to make. And yeah, goth? I don't get it. Yeah, the goth thing. I don't, I don't get it. Mainstream goth band. <laughs> so these change your name to Mark Everett. False, because you don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about. 
This, uh, these sessions, April 2nd through the 6th, were intended for Nirvana's second sub-pop album, which was going to be called Sheep. Okay. Did we, uh, this, this ad is apparently somewhere in the journal's book, and it's for the Sheep album, and it says, May women rule the world. Abort Christ, assassinate the greater and lesser of two evils, steal sheep at a store near you, nirvana, flowers, perfume, candy, puppies, love, generational solidarity, and killing your parents, sheep. Yeah, what are they selling? Uh, yeah, I'm What so- is that? What? I don't, I don't, I can't believe they didn't just go with that. Yeah, I mean, super relatable, first of all. Because you could just plug Nevermind into all that oh, absolutely. sheep. And you know just, what? I think honestly, they saw this and they went, "Yeah, maybe let's never mind that." And they were like, oh, "That's the album. That's, that's the, the name. Album. That's the album. That's what we should call it." Are you sure you want to do this, Kurt? <laughs> no, never mind. No, we found it. <laughs> Voice of a generation. And they high five. Kurt yeah. Cobain burns money because yeah. he always wanted to be famous. And then they do the like frozen jump in the air, like it's a Toyota commercial. It'd be amazing. Oh, and then Kurt Cobain overdoses right before they go on SNL. That's a later episode. Yeah, it'll happen. It'll. It's gonna. It's, it happens to the best. Be of amazing us. if it went from that to that. Like, yeah. oh my god, yeah, let's call it. Never mind. Let me shoot up. Oh, SNL just called shit. Fuck. And that changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is another quote from Butch Vig. Kurt was an enigma. He'd get moody and sit in the corner and not talk for 45 minutes. I didn't have to do much fine-tuning to the actual sound. Kurt wasn't too pleased with Chad's drumming. He kept getting behind the kit, showing him how to play things. Oh, getting all Steven Tyler on him. Yeah, here it comes. Uh, This is from the biography book. Although Chad was still very much part of Nirvana, he was becoming dissatisfied with his place in the band. He considered himself a songwriter and could play guitar, bass, and violin. Well, well, well. Well, well. A renaissance man. Here's, here's a couple dueling quotes. First, Chad Channing. I started to feel like a drum machine. Kurt had promised me more input, but it became clear that wasn't going to happen. This is Kurt on Chad's style of music. Elfin music. <laughs> you just kind of shudder because it's so stupid and dorky. Oh, Kurt. Wait till you hear Giants yeah. in the Trees, buddy. Yeah. Wait till you hear what your good buddy Chris does <laughs> after you're gone. It does not get better, It Kurt. gets very elfin and dorky. <laughs> Real fast. Did you ever hear Sweet 75? I think uh, I was one of three people who did, yeah. I tried. I never heard any. I tried. It was him and uh, I want to say a lady that he was at least in a relationship with. Yeah, I know it was a a woman who was in the band with him. Yeah, I remember once going to see, um, who did I go see? I went to go see some band here in LA at the Troubadour. This must have been like, I don't know, 95-ish. And and the the guy running sound was like, hey, tomorrow we're gonna have Sweet Seventy Five. I think you guys know who that is. <laughs> I think no one no, showed up for it. We yeah, don't actually and, know that, or, or or really care. So these are the songs they recorded uh, in those sessions. In Bloom, okay. Another version of Polly, which was recorded on a really shitty five string acoustic guitar that sounded was, like a ukulele. Right, but I think that's the one on the. That's album. the one we talked about, right? Like it's right. the it's the. It has all nylon strings on it, right? Right. It's a 12-string guitar that doesn't have all the strings and they're all nylon. Right. Because it's either that or he's obsessed with only recording it with a shitty guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's the same because it's the Chad Channing we'll have a quote from in a second. Okay. And he mentions that he still plays drums on Polly on the album. So I think that is the version of Polly that they ended up using. They recorded Dive, Pay to Play, which uh, eventually became Stay Away for some reason. Hmm. Lithium. 
Imodium. Which, oh, wait. So then was it, would the chorus have been, I pay to play, and yeah, change it to stay away? Yeah, he changed it. From, that makes more sense. It's more relatable, because unless you're in a fucking band, you have no right. idea what that means. Yeah. yeah. Lithium Imodium, which was breed, but they oh. just caught, remember that because Tad puked all the time on the <laughs> right? tour, right. and Kurt would gather his puke in a bucket each morning. <laughs> he was obsessed with the stomach art of and Tad, he, yes. He got back from Europe and had to get that down on wax. He's like, hold on, guys. I hear a single. <laughs> I wrote a song about Tad's puke to the studio. To the studio. Uh, Come on, and guys. Were- <laughs> let's go to the studio. Let's talk about Tad's vomit. And they recorded Sappy again. Again! And they recorded Here She Comes Now, which uh, I think we played that on the that was on one of our B-Sides r- yeah. and Rarities yeah, 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 episode, yeah. because it's a really great cover of a Velvet Underground song. Interesting. And five of the songs ended up being used on Nevermind. But not S- necessarily the recording. So they went out to Smart Studios to do demos? I mean, that's a long way to go from Seattle to just do demos, right? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I think that's worded weirdly i think those song i don't know that those versions all those versions of those songs ended up on nevermind but maybe right this is a quote from chad channing oh poor chad oh chad it's weird because on the songs they pulled off the madison sessions all of the drum parts that i wrote are on nevermind Uh there are minor little differences like on like on in bloom i wanted a more structural kind of thing but that's it it's a hard thing to think about because when you're in a band you put everyone's collaboration together, and everyone should get an equal share. But the only share I got off that was Polly, because I actually play four cymbal heads on it. Nobody ever wrote my parts for me. Kurt wrote the lyrics and the guitar, and that's it. He couldn't even play drums, Whoa. just in a makeshift sort of way. So yeah, I don't know. It's confusing. I'm with you, Chad Channing. <laughs> it is confusing, because we've all been sold this bill of goods Part of the myth of Kurt Cobain is that he was also a pretty good drummer. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this, it's crazy how Chad Channing turns into like the second saddest story in, <laughs> well, in Nirvana. Like, because Kurt Cobain, obviously. I would say Jason Everman's a pretty sad one, too. Yeah. Yeah, that one's bad. But at least he never got to like, like Chad Channing gets so close. Right. To, to them being huge. These sessions took place right at the start of another U.S. tour which I only mentioned because on April 18th in Cambridge, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Kurt threw a pitcher, wa- pitcher of water at Chad that missed his ear by inches. Oh, Kurt Cobain. Why, Kurt? What are you doing? This is a quote from Carrie Montgomery. Nirvana was really mean to Chad. <laughs> Jesus. Kurt would break his drums every night, and he didn't have any money. His drums were duct taped together, oh. and it was funny to watch, but I always felt bad for him. He didn't look like he was having fun. He knew he'd have to piece his drum set back together every night. When me and Mark caught up with Nirvana, they had been on tour for a long time, and Chad didn't have any socks. So I literally took the socks off my feet and gave them to little Chad. And I felt so bad about how Kurt was to him. It seemed like Kurt was pissed at Chad. And this is from the perspective of, why is that guy picking on that little drummer guy? He doesn't have any duct tape left, even. I mean... There's so much to unpack with that, as we said. Yeah. First of all, you break his drum kit every night? Every night. Every night. And you know, you're not Nirvana at this point. It's not like, well, DW will just send us another kit, you know? Exactly. Or, you know, or Tama or Tama will just 
bring us another kit because we're the biggest band in the world. You're being a dick to a guy who's duct taping his shattered instrument back together and you're breaking it again. And he's the nicest person in the group. The one you should have the lead. Oh, Kurt. Anyway. And it's got this almost tiny Tim element to it where like he doesn't even have socks. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, it's this Dickens. Please, sir, may I have another? Please, sir, may you not break my drums? I'm going to break your drums. Oh, sir, please. <laughs> what day is it, sir? Well, it's break your drum day. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, poor Chad. This, but good news, Travis. Yeah, because everything's about to change. <laughs> everything's about to change because they, they their tour hits New York at one point, and on April twenty sixth they play the Pyramid Club. Oh yeah, and in the crowd that night, Iggy Pop, Iggy Pop, Sonic Youth, Sonic Youth, Geffen's head of A and R, Gary Gersh, Gary Gersh, and Helmet, 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 Helmet. I like, like Helmet, but Hostme? is that? What is that helmet? No, that's um, that's uh, that's Ramstein. 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 Yeah, fuck, yeah. I don't even know helmet. Helmet. Oh yeah, aftertaste and uh, uh, unsung. Sure. Um, just another victim off of the Judgment Night soundtrack. Oh, all the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, helmet was big. Helmet yeah. was a big band, but they weren't. Didn't seem like a band that they would give a shit about. Yeah, it's, it just seemed like a weird mention there. Paige Hamilton actually went on to become uh, Bowie's guitar player for a while. Oh wow! So the guy who was the frontier of Helmet. Bowie's guitar player. That is impressive. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> when Bowie went through the heavy drop D riffage phase <laughs> of his career, <laughs> made total sense. This is a quote from Janet Billig, who used to, I forget what, she worked with Nirvana in some capacity. At the Pyramid, they came out and took over NYC. Uh! They were amazing, but didn't realize it themselves. Second show at Maxwell's, I remember Chris shaving his head because he told me, it was penance for blowing the previous show with Iggy Pop in the audience. Wait, I thought this changed everything. This, oh, no, I'm wrong. This didn't change everything. But if the shows were so good, why is he shaving his head in penance? Because he, he thought they had bad shows. Everyone else thought they had really oh. good shows and thought they were great. Perspective is a motherfucker, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And it's, uh, but it is the show where they meet their, their future record label and management and all that shit and Sonic Youth. So in that way, Travis, you know what it did? It changed, changed everything. everything. All the things. So wait, why did he shave his head? Because he, he felt he had to do it to punish himself because he thought they had a bad show with Iggy Pop in the audience. Oh, right. The, the pop penance. <laughs> as sure. all, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As one does. Yeah, just pop off your hair if you feel like you had a bad show in front of Iggy Pop. And the problem was they had been filming a music video. No. At the These time. guys? They do music videos? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Not a high quality music video. Wait, you're trying to tell me they did like low budget kind of- uh, Very low budget. Uh, kind of run and gun, guerrilla style stuff? So low budget that, well, I guess this doesn't play into budget, but they filmed one day and then Chris shaved his head and then they filmed the rest of the scenes oh, the next day. Oh, shit. Continuity error. So there are several scenes in this video, which we'll, we'll watch- a little All bit right. of it. I would like to see which is. Uh, it's almost the hardest to watch of their videos, and so far it's the most professional one. But yeah, and it's also pretty getting into the uh, realm of Smells Like Teen Spirit video. Yeah. Like a little bit of that. They got the. Uh, I mean, these are some in camera effects from like the 90s cameras. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, setting up. Yeah, it's just mostly them walking around New York City. Oh, it's kind of bleachy in terms of going to the negative black and white yeah. stuff. 
It, I mean, this is super. If you didn't know any better, you would think this was a band that was trying to rip off a Nirvana video yeah. with not a lot of money. Yeah. All right. Now they're they're walking I'm just around walking around New York. Chris still has all his hair for right yeah, now. Yeah, a lot of dramatic underlining and uh, strange close-ups, camera pans. I mean, this is, I swear to God, this is the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. He's even in the camera doing the yeah. weird, creepy smile. Okay, walking around New York City. Smoking. Smoking's fun. Smoking is, oh, eating hot dogs. Eating hot dogs, that's, uh... Oh, while wearing a creepy plastic mask. Now we're back on brand. Yeah, we are. Chris still has hair. Chris uh, has the most obnoxious facial hair I've ever seen. Oh, he, is he doing it again? That that weird chin strap. Yeah, he's beard? got the little chin strap. Look, it was the nineties. Apparatus. 90s. None of us knew what we were going doing. on. None of us thought this would resurface. None of us had any yeah. idea of permanence. Except Kurt Cobain, who thought this would make him famous, probably. Also, here comes Chris with no hair. Oh, yeah. There it is. Yeah, that's not a good look on you, Chris. Although, At I least mean. it's a different scene. Sure. But now there's just a giant bald man. Right. A giant white bald man. Just a giant bald yeah. man in the band all of a sudden. Oh. He's got a mud honey shirt on. Did you see that? He had a fucking mud honey shirt on. He did. Also, I feel like we just saw Chad Channing's face for the first time, and we're a good two some minutes into this video. A little blurry now. A little '90s blur because oh, everything's like the purge. out of focus. I mean, you know what's funny is that because we're just passing by him so much, and because he has the same long hair that was popular at the time. It's hard to tell that's not Dave Grohl because that's what Dave Grohl looked like by the time oh, we yeah. got introduced to him. For sure. So is this the version from the... Uh, it and Bye Bye. Is that the version from Smart Studios or is that just some other version? See, that, that I'm pretty sure that's the Smart Studios version okay. because the drums, if nothing else, sound... Right. There's a different sound to them, even if it's the same kind of structure. Right. Like that that's the thing. Chad Channing seemed like a really nice guy, but Dave Grohl's definitely the better drummer. But let's get into some more more tour shenanigans before tour shenanigans. things get terrible for Chad. Uh the tour stopped in Tampa Bay, Florida on May 4th, where the band stayed the night at a fan's dad's condo. Oh god. Yep. This is not gonna end no, well. No, I already know this isn't going well. Chris and Kurt took the opportunity to take some acid. Sure. Well, I mean, whenever of you're course. in your friend's dad's condo. Acid time. And thoroughly abused their host's hospitality. Oh, good. Especially the next morning when they woke and found no one was home. This is a quote from Craig Montgomery. They took out all the food and destroyed the kitchen. They were frying mayonnaise in the pan. Stuff like that. And then Chris starts wandering around naked in the cul-de-sac, shouting at the top of his voice. I was just embarrassed, but I couldn't say anything. No one likes the guy who plays dad. Chris left a $100 bill on the counter as we departed. Yeah, that's not going to cover it. I'm telling oh, you right no, now, that's sure. not going to cover it. No. And even if, what a piece of shit thing to do. Thanks right. for letting us stay at your house. We destroyed it because we're rock stars. Yeah. Even though we're not really yet. Not rock stars at all. We're just people. We're yeah. just kids being dicks. I mean, this has got to be... I mean, what's funny now is that that's just everybody's Airbnb story. I let this fucking oh, yeah, band sure. stay here and they fucking destroyed everything. 
Did you have you ever rented your place out on Airbnb? No, 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 no. Because I I don't trust the public enough to. I come. did for a while. Yeah, when I lived in Santa Monica. How'd that go? It went great because I had a a one bedroom right by the beach. Okay, and I was able to rent it out for like two fifty a night. And so whenever I would go on the road and do shows, I would just Airbnb my place. And it would like pay my fucking. I just made sure to book a bunch of shows when I was doing it. Nice, and it would pay my rent. But you never came home to like, ah, oh, someone shit the bed. The only th- only real hassle I ever had was this old man who had a serious grudge with my Brita water pitcher. He called me the first day he shows up, and he's like, uh, what do I do with this water pitcher in the refrigerator? I'm like, oh, motherfucker, drink out of it. Yeah. And it was we had this weird back because it was this thing where he left for a while and then came back and stayed for a few more days. And like he would move the water pitcher. One time he moved it next to the refrigerator. Then I came back and he had put it under the sink, like where all the chemicals are. Like, I don't know what this fucking man had against Brita water pitchers. Well, at least he didn't fry any mayonnaise and destroy your kitchen. Yeah, no shit. What a bunch of assholes. Jesus Christ. But uh, I feel like this is almost good news for Chad Channing. On May 17th, he played his final show with Nirvana in Boise, Idaho. I don't think he knew that, though. <laughs> no, it didn't, didn't seem like it. A couple weeks after the band returned home, Kurt and Chris showed up at Chad's house in Bainbridge Island, unannounced. Never good. Cardinal sin, and told him he was out of the band. This is a quote from Kurt. I felt like I just killed someone. And later he would actually know what that feels like. <laughs> for just a little bit. For just a second. For just a little <laughs> while. But before he left, there was one last Charles Peterson photo shoot they had to do. Which, sidebar, this is becoming a real running theme with them. Uh-huh. Where we, we're going to fire you. We know we're going to fire you. But but first, let's make it a photo op let's, so that we know you're not in the band anymore. Let's do one last really awkward thing to make you think you're solid and safe within the band. I almost wonder if they had like a wall of people, like a like a wall of people they'd fired. And it was like this weird documenting way of like, and this was, the, you know, like their yeah. Spinal Tap version of well, the remember drummers. Remember on the inside of the Incesticide liner notes, they did have like a wall of drummers. They had like all the drummers oh. pictured that they had. And there were like six of them. Fucking crazy. I uh, I think I mentioned this before, but it's definitely in my notes is that uh, I, I like Kurt less now than when we started. Yeah. And it's I mean, some of it has to do with the fact that he didn't have time to get older and become a less shitty person. Sure. Or a significantly worse person. You never really wow, know. Yeah. Imagine a 50 year old Kurt Cobain doing like just spiraling further down well and, you know yeah. you know who kurt cobain reminds me of and probably would be above, mark maron above anyone else <laughs> well i think neil young is okay. probably an example of what kurt cobain would be where he's just like kind of like neil young is a cantankerous sure dude who just sort of does what he wants when he wants and I, I could see Kurt just kind of being like, but with Neil, I think the point I'm getting at is that it's not always great. Like it's not always right. in a, like Tom Waits does that, but it's always really adorable and charming with Tom right. Waits. Like anytime he tours again, it's like, oh, you're coming off the farm in California. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. But with Neil, it's just like, well, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> pretty good deal. <laughs> you, you better like it. It's like, I don't like it. I haven't liked it for 15 years. But I keep, I don't care. I keep hoping. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you like my, trains? Yeah, exactly. You, know, you want to build a train set? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm fine with What about this weird Toblerone-shaped music player <laughs> that I tried to sell? Do you remember that? I, I pledged for that on Kickstarter, and then 
I the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't need this. And I ended up canceling my pledge with 44 minutes left. It's also too, it was like, if you're not familiar with it, I forget the name of it, but it was Pano. Pano. It was the least pocket-friendly device that was supposed yeah. to go in your pocket. It was shaped like a Toblerone. It was like a, but like a giant Toblerone. Right. It was a triangle, and it was supposed to be for MP3s for people who were like super audiophiles. Yeah, it, it played high-quality audiophiles. Like way, like. But that's the thing. The reason I ended up canceling it is the more I thought about it, I was like, I could just get an iPod with really Bare, good bigger storage capacity, yeah. and do the same thing exactly. because those play WAV files. They play Apple lossless files. No fucking difference. They, well, yeah. So I was like, fuck, and fuck it you, fits in your pocket and doesn't <laughs> look like you're carrying around a weird candy bar. Exactly. So yeah, that's probably what Kurt would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goddamn Neil Young. So this is uh, this is more on Chad Channing, or this is uh, Charles Peterson talking about the photo shoot that they had Chad Channing do right before they fired him. And even this is fucking. This is shitty, shitty. as fuck. This is super. Super shitty to the point where you know it's there's I'll let you tell the story, but th- there's a point where you can go, oh, maybe this wasn't premeditated. And then this yeah. happens. You're like, this is premeditated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is Charles Peterson. Uh, this is a quote. It took place in my studio, which I was sharing with a screen printer, Jeff Ross, who was doing all the sub pop to different Jeff Ross, <laughs> the roast master and T-shirt master, Jeff Ross. <laughs> I had no idea what to do, so I had a white piece of seamless paper and strobe lights. The band came in, and Kurt was like, white piece of paper, that's boring. Is there anything we can do, do you think? I looked around and said there, and, and saw there was a can of black spray paint sitting there, so I said, let's paint something on it. He's like, cool, cool. He walks up to it and does a big plus and a minus sign, and I was like, that works. The interesting thing is, the way they posed for the entire session was Kurt and Chris under the plus and Chad under the minus. Fuck, Fuck you! you. <laughs> Why do you have to do that? And you know that's just him in his head being like, mm, this is a sly little thing. I'll get past mm, everyone. Yeah, and yeah. then people will look back in years and go, oh, look at how he hid these clues. But no, you hid clues that you're an asshole. No, you could have also just been direct with somebody. Yeah. yeah. You and Chris could have just done the photo shoot. No one would have given a shit. It's just two yeah. of you. Ugh. Here's here's more. This is Craig Montgomery. Chad was great. I was sad when they fired him. Super nice. Always cheerful. Kurt and Chris could be real downers sometimes, but Chad would try to keep a positive attitude. They liked Chad personally. Did they? They were frustrated with him as a drummer. I think he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't the strongest drummer, which I disagree with. I don't agree with that either. In fact, even Dave Grohl said the ba-da-ba-da-ba-dop is yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he'd drop beats, make mistakes, and when the drummer makes a mistake, it's kind of glaring. Is it? Is it? I, I mean... Not really. Uh, it's your job to adjust to the sloppy guitar player. Yeah. Uh, this is Everett True speaking to Carrie Montgomery. Did Kurt actually pick on Chad other than the drum kit thing? This is Carrie. He always made Chad feel like he wasn't good enough at his drumming. He could be really perfectionist. Towards the end of Nirvana, I saw him pick on Chris. When you're a miserable, unhappy person, Ding. you're not going to be supportive to anybody else around you. Kurt wanted Chad to play hard and loud, and Chad just wouldn't do it. He was like a hippie jazz drummer. I was sad when Chad got fired. He was just a nice little hippie, you know? I was like, it was like just when it looked like something might happen. They kicked the guy out who was there through the crappy van tour in New York, which is true. Right. 
and he had to be in that drive back from that van tour. Oh, right. The, when the, they <laughs> fire Jason Everman and the, then drive back across country. Right. Oh, who, God. Who makes that decision? Seven days or ten days of silence and like awkwardness. Just, yeah. Have a have a good van ride back, and then when he gets out, just go. Oh, hey, by the way, you're fired, and then pull off. Right, but you know, <laughs> I, this isn't unique to to Kurt. But you know, when you're done with someone, it's like you kind of don't care. You're just like, I'm breaking up with you. That I can understand. Yeah, I don't yeah. agree with it, but I can understand it. Yeah, this other shit I can't even agree with and put my head around. Right. This is a quote from Chad Channing. Here's the way I've always looked at it. Had I somehow changed things, yeah, I'd probably have a few more bucks in my pocket. But I don't know if I'd have been that satisfied. It was cool playing the songs and stuff, but all my life I've never been a drummer's drummer. I've never been single-minded about one particular instrument. I can't be. I'm a songwriter first and foremost. I've always seen music as a whole, and Nirvana was the first band I had ever been in where I didn't have any contribution. I like this guy. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the best way to view what happened to him. Yeah. To be like, oh, it wouldn't have changed my life that much. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, it really wouldn't have because I don't, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe he would have. I think he got. Maybe his next band would have been the Foo Fighters. Maybe. But he also seemed to got fortunate enough that he at least got some money, even if it's just off of Polly, so that it's not like he, he didn't get Jason Everman out of it where it's like, I'm in a negative because of the band, you know? Yeah, that's true. So the same week that Chad was fired from Nirvana, Kurt also broke up with Tracy Miranda. No biggie. He was just already in love with one of her friends, Toby Vale. And I don't know much about Toby Vale. Toby Vale's an interesting story. We're not going to go into huge detail here because I want I want to leave stuff for people who want to read these books, right. obviously. Let but, the mystery be. But Toby Vale is a big part of the Nirvana story, especially in that half the songs on Nevermind are about her or inspired by her. But the other girl is who About a Girl is about. Tracy Miranda right. is who About a Girl is about. Interesting. And that, I mean, God damn it, we're back to it again. I'm just remembering how shitty and passive aggressive that song is. Well, yeah, and he hasn't even broken up with Tracy Miranda. At one point, he calls her while they're on one of these tours and says, hey, what if I just move out and we keep going going out? That's When would that work in a relationship? For a guy who loves conflict, he doesn't want to be there during it. You yeah. Know? He wants to cause it and, and look at it from a distance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It seems, yeah, that's that seems pretty astute. And yeah, the thing about Toby Vale, the Nevermind album, if you had it on like cassette or if you have it on vinyl, there's a boy side and a girl side. Oh. And the girl side are songs about Toby Vale. And like Lounge Act is about Toby Vale, which is one of my favorite, right, it's one of my favorite, ones, favorite yeah. Nirvana songs. And she plays a big role in Kurt's life, but kind of briefly. And if you read the stuff like in in the journals about her, Travis, it's not going to make you like Kurt Cobain more. Oh, you know, because he really (laughs) he really pioneers the friend zone archetype of male where he's like, why can't you just be my girlfriend? Like, I don't understand. Right. And it's (laughs) it's it's kind of troubling. Some of the shit he writes about her. You know what? I was his journals. I was saying this. uh, I was trying to impart some of these stories to my wife and explain my disdain for Mr. Cobain now. Yeah. And uh, and I said, you know what I'm realizing that I didn't realize at the time and I'm just now realizing is that. I used to think that Kurt and Courtney were a weird couple. I didn't understand why they were a couple. And now I realize, nope, they are the male and female yeah. version of each other. Yeah. They are exactly who should have been married to each yeah. other. They're the perfect couple, yeah. which is disappointing. Yep. 
But yeah, go check out any of these books. There's the, the Toby Vale story is really interesting, and you can read it in Heavier Than Heaven or in Nirvana the Biography, or probably possibly, in, <laughs> probably in Everybody <laughs> Loves Our Town, an oral history of grunge by Marky Arm. But Mark, are we still calling him Marky Arm? I'm gonna be honest, we just haven't had a chance. Yeah, I mean, look, I just picked up my journal book. I we just, just got that back. I just got it back. And I'm writing a Nirvana book of my own. Are so, you? No. <laughs> it's called Everybody is Pretty Fond of This Town. <laughs> Everybody likes this town. Everybody Fine. seems cool. <laughs> so yeah, uh, go read any of those books and read it's up called, on Toby Bale. It's called Meet Me at the Photo Shoot, an oral <laughs> history of Nirvana. <laughs> Oh, I can just picture if they got really huge at some point and there's someone in the band, someone just walks in the room and goes, Kurt wants you for a photo shoot. Oh, shit. You're like, fuck. I fucking knew it. I knew it. I'm getting fired. God damn it. How did I know? (laughs) (laughs) So in... In May 1990, this this is the the other big breakup we're talking about. This is where everything Everything changes. changes. It all gets different from here. In May 1990, Sub Pop gave Nirvana a new contract. Oh. It was 30 pages long. Oh, my God. And tightened up the label's rights considerably. Kurt did not want to sign it, so he and Chris asked Soundgarden's manager, Susan Silver, for advice. She told them they should find a lawyer. And uh, they got drunk and pissed on something, right? Is that exactly that probably the first? <laughs> they took some acid and fried some mayonnaise. That would be the next thing they did. Why were they frying mayonnaise? I don't know. I was trying. I'm glad you asked that too, because I was like, is that even a thing people do? Or are you just being a waste? I think they're just being wasteful assholes, right? Yeah, right. It's di- it's disgusting. And like and mayonnaise what, is why? Why are you even taking mayonnaise out of the jar? It's gross. I, well, I like I like veganaise. I'm a, oh. I'm a veganaise guy myself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Check out Follow Your Heart, guys. Uh, <laughs> Veginase, 40 years now of not really mayo, but tastes just like it. Very nice. I've yeah. never had it. I should try it. You should try it. It's, good. it's pretty good. Made here locally in California, out in Reseda. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where the Karate Kid partially takes yeah, place. The Karate Kid works there now. I saw Ralph Macho <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the factory. Perfect. Yeah. So so by this time, when you know they've they've started basically looking for record labels... Around this time, Sub Pop was getting kind of big. They've been generating media interest. Right. And this is a quote from Danny Goldberg, who eventually goes on to become Nirvana's manager. Almost every record company with an A&R man wanted Nirvana for the same reason we did, because Sub Pop were a trendy new company, and Bleach was one of Sub Pop's most successful records. There were five or six labels clamoring for them, Columbia, a division of Virgin, MCA, and Atlantic. This is a quote from Bruce Pavitt, who uh, was one of the co-owners of Sub Pop. I was extremely upset and hurt when they started talking to major labels because I was the last person to hear about it, which that fits Kurt's MO. That seems right. Everyone was telling me. I mean, we had just done a photo shoot together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't include the whole quote, but he does make a good point that this wasn't too long after Kurt calling them from Europe and being like, Send me more guitars. I oh, broke them all. Right. And he's like, we flew out and brought you more guitars. And then you got mad that we were there and thought that we were like being some kind of bourgeois assholes yeah. for supporting you. And everyone was telling me, hey, I was down in Olympia. And Nirvana are driving around in a limo and everything. <laughs> Which you have to realize, pre-Nevermind and in Olympia, you just didn't do. In retrospect, everything makes sense. But at the time, very few bands had signed to major labels. It was a shock. 
The label was taking every ounce of energy that we had to keep it together, so I felt that even though we were constantly broke and in some ways dysfunctional, the least we deserved was to have some honest communication with the group. That's not unfair. Sure. Said every dialogue, internal monologue of anybody who dealt with these people. Yeah, right. We at least deserve to be treated like people. So they eventually end up splitting with Sub Pop. At at some point later, we still have we still aren't at the point where they actually sign with Geffen. Uh, Geffen right. Because there's a which whole, was a big deal. It was a big deal, and there are too many stories surrounding that. To like, we'll we'll end this episode around the time they meet Dave Grohl. Okay, but from there, when they sign, there's a really famous story about like their album release party. They got kicked out of their own album release party for starting a food fight. What is it with them and food? (laughs) How can you be that skinny and obsessed with causing mayhem with food? I don't get it. I don't. Well, it's because he couldn't fucking eat anything but mac and cheese. He's just fucking angry at the world, specifically at food and drummers. It's like the two nemesis of (laughs) Eric Cobain. Food and drummers. Can't stand them. What am I going to do with all this food? I'm going to make it my drummer and fire it. <laughs> so, and on the skins, Mr. Hot Dog. And you're fired. Get out of here, hot dog. <laughs> so that's actually, that's a good segue because, uh, as we just mentioned, Nirvana's without a drummer again. And this time they have to go out on a West Coast tour supporting Sonic Youth. So they asked Dale Crover to do it. There's no way he was going to leave the Melvins to Why join would he? Yeah. Nirvana full time. But he agreed to go out on this tour under one uh, one condition. They were not allowed, under any circumstances, to touch his drums. Smart man. He knows what's up. And here's the thing. Kurt Cobain was a tyrant when he was in a band, but he was also terribly bullied, according to him at least, right. as a child. So uh, Dale Crover in, in this next uh, quote proves that if you just push back a little, Kurt would be like, Meek. Okay. Okay. Also, if you've seen Dale Crover, he's a monster. Yeah, he's yeah, an enormous man. Too. And also, his drum kit is huge. Yeah. His drum kit, I think he's like a 28 inch bass drum, which you could literally put Kurt Cobain in. Like That's he could insane. live in it. Yeah. This is a quote from Dale Crover Not only did they comply with that request, but they also did not smash one guitar on the tour. I'm glad they didn't do that stuff. It's anticlimactic. Kurt trying to break a guitar, it takes him 15 minutes. <laughs> By the time it's over, it's like big deal. I think that's I think that's guitar murder. I think guitars have souls. I don't think any of that stuff is cool at all. Also, too, he raises a great point. I mean, we watched him try to dismantle fabric and he couldn't do it. Imagine him trying to break wood. Like after it'd take a while. <laughs> yeah. Which it shouldn't. I feel like you could just drop a guitar and it'll break. Uh, depending on the guitar. Like, but a well-made guitar is going to put up with some abuse. Yeah. And if you have like you know the feeble arms of a non-eating angry person, <laughs> you're not going to be able to smash it. So this tour, the first stop was in Long Beach. But before the tour started, they stayed a few days in San Francisco at Buzz Osborne's house. Uh-oh. <laughs> we know what happened. <laughs> Hide the mayonnaise, Buzz. Yeah. <laughs> Hide the mayo. <laughs> On Buzz's recommendation, they went to check out Washington, D.C.-based band Scream, who was an old-school, hardcore punk band. I love Scream. I have still never heard anything from Scream. I'm uh, Now, 
I don't want to spoil it, but they have a drummer that we might be hearing about in a little bit. But I'm familiar with Scream as their front man, uh, Pete Stahl, and the guitar player was also another Stahl. I can't remember his name, but the Stahl. Franz? Franz Stahl, yes. Who was in the Foo Fighters for a while. Oh, he was. You're right. So Franz and Pete Stahl are brothers. They started this band. Pete Stahl went on to do things like he did Goat Snake. He did Earthlings, question mark. That's the name of the band. He became really involved with like the kind of Queens of the Stone Age, Caius Deserty scene and did a lot of stuff with them. He recorded some early versions of what would be called Avon on the first Queens record when it was called Nova. He did a version of it with alternate lyrics. And now I believe he's actually a tour manager. So I really like Pete Stahl. If you haven't listened to Scream, you should check out Scream. I will check out Scream. This is a quote from Carrie Montgomery. They wanted a heavier drummer than Chad. I can remember Kurt telling me after the Scream show, I wish we could get a drummer like that. Oh, Kurt. You band wrecker! Damn you, Kurt! <laughs> it's just like, it's that kind of thing of like, oh, what a pretty girl. I'll just steal her. You know, like, <laughs> I won't go meet my own pretty girl. I'll just go take someone else's thing. Speaking of that, not thing, not th- hold on, not thing like women are thing. <laughs> I, 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 I make that clear. I, that, that sounded very, that was poor phrasing on my part. We're allies, okay. lady. Don't you worry. I said lady. <laughs> We're allies, lady. Listen, broad. I'm on your side. Bunch of games get that we on uh, your side. Well, what are you wearing? Your pink hats? I was there. Great for you. <laughs> now make a sandwich. What's wrong with this guy? Why is he so... Why is he this way? He is not an ally at all. He's just completely disjointed. Speaking of stealing other bands' drummers, Mudhoney were on the verge of splitting up at the time. Ugh. This is Mud Honey drummer Dan Peters. We didn't split up. Steve wanted to go back to school. I don't know if we ever shot ourselves in the foot, but we definitely whacked ourselves in the foot a few times by not taking advantage of things while we could. But that was Mud Honey all over. It was never our intention to be successful. Uh, yeah, I, feel like I challenge that. I'm going to push on that. Yeah, you don't go around touring hoping to make money if you don't intend to be successful. Right. You right. know. You guys weren't doing stand-up comedy. (laughs) Exactly. In the summer of 1990, Dan bumped into Shelly, which was Chris Novoselic's wife, I believe, at this time, or they were at least engaged, and suggested that he could uh, fill in as Nirvana's drummer. This was Dan Peters again. I had fought my whole life to get to do the stuff I was doing in Mud Honey. I wasn't ready to give it up. I was like, what the fuck? I'm 22, 23 years old, and I have no skills as far as I don't know how to do anything other than play drums. It's also just being 22 and 23 years old. You don't know how to do shit yet because you've only been an adult for like a day. Right. You know? Yeah. So uh, Kurt, of course, big Melvin's fan, and bi- or big Mud Honey fan, he's really excited. Uh, to the the point that he's kind of impressed and flattered that Dan Peters asked to be in the band. So they say yes. The The first thing they do is they buy uh, Dan a new drum kit. Oh, that's kind of them. Because uh, they didn't like the one he had. Oh. And they didn't think it would complement their sound very well. And, uh, it's fucking drums, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he had like a small kit, right? They wanted right. a... They, oh, God. And uh, here's a quote from Dan. It was a big hunk of shit. <laughs> If I'd known they were that serious, I would have pursued another kit somehow. And this is this is. But the, I mean, I mean, he's like he's a touring member of this band now. I mean, he's yeah, just, he's got a he's bright immersed future. in the band. I mean, how long was he with the band for? Well, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Yeah. I'm sure. Let's let's go to the book here. Okay, this is a question from Everett True for Dan Peters. And where the fuck did it go? Uh, oh, yeah. How many shows did you do with Nirvana? One, one show and one recording session. <laughs> God damn. Jesus Christ, you guys. 
This is another Everett True question. Did you seriously think you were going to be joining Nirvana full-time? Yeah. At that point, <laughs> it was up in the air as far as what Mudhoney was doing. If it had worked out, I think I would have stuck with it. They'd come down from Tacoma, hang out, or Chris would come to my house, knock on the door. I'd hop in the van, and we'd go down to the practice space. Kurt would be in the back sleeping. We'd get there. Kurt would wake up, walk into the practice space, plug in his guitar, and go, I can't hear your drums. Well, neither can I. He just cranked the amp. There was no real hanging out. I think we went out for beers once after practice. I said, look, what do you guys want? If you're looking for a dr- another drummer, let me know. I'll step aside. Now, I feel like he is being a little insecure there, but also for good reason, because he's the new drummer in Nirvana. Yeah, also, too, he, this band has been around for a little bit in the scene, and you know, like, yeah. oh, right, they just get rid of people, and it's there's writing on yeah. the wall here. So it's like, what do you got? You know, they're not... I kind of admire him because he's going, I know you're going to be shitty and not tell me, so I'm going to push you. Do you not want me? Because I don't want to find out after a photo shoot that I'm not in this band anymore. But I mean, there's no way they would put another drummer through like another photo shoot and then fire him. They wouldn't do that, right? That's what they did to Chad Chan. That's that's insane. Yeah, it's just who would do that? Yeah, let's let's just see how this one ends. This is Dan Peters talking about the one gig he played with them, which at one point was the show that changed everything. Does say say at one point, isn't that the show that people say just kind of changed everything? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure it was. This is Dan Peters talking about the show that changed everything for the fourth or fifth time. Maybe everything was just in a perpetual state of change. (laughs) Maybe we just, maybe we're not looking at it that way. Just growing and evolving as a band. Things can't stop changing. (laughs) Uh, This is him talking about that show. It was fun, kind of chaotic, lots of people on stage. It took place at Seattle's Motorsports Arena on September 22nd. Nirvana. Oh, that's I'm outside of his quote now. Right. By the the way, shout out to a recent uh, anniversary of that show. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Just a few weeks. Just like a week ago. Yeah. Yeah. The show took place at Seattle's Motorsports Arena on September 22nd. It was their largest headlining gig to date in front of 1,500 people with Melvin's dwarves and punk band the derelicts in support this is dan peters again there was a lot of stage diving there was a complete lack of security it was a huge show mud honey had done a show there before and it was one of the first times that this big old shed area was opened up to random fuck-offs yeah i was talking to the woman who put the show on about what i thought was my first show not Not my my only only show show. (laughs) and she's like how many backstage passes do you need kurt and chris were like i need two and I'm like, I need 40. <laughs> I got all my friends to the backstage area. Not that there was much going on, but we could bring all the booze we wanted through the back gate. I just wish they'd told me what was up. So my memory of that night is kind of tainted. But he did kind of at least have the foresight to be like, I want all my friends yeah. to come. You know, like at least going out swinging. I think I think that's also telling too. If if the band members are like, I'll have two. I'll also have two. And you're like, all of them. I'll take all the passes. <laughs> do you think he got all forty? I hope so. That's amazing. I really do. I can't imagine that club even holds forty people in its backstage area. Right, but then they had uh, what? What was a? It was an arena, right? Or a, oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, it was a motorsports arena. Yeah. Seattle's motorsports arena. So yeah, Dan- just a bunch of fucking grunge dudes in a pit area, <laughs> like chugging beers, talking about what how fucking big we're gonna be. <laughs> oh my god, you guys, this is the biggest show I've ever played. It's only gonna keep going from here. Nope. No, but it's not. Dan Peters thought he was Nirvana's new drummer, especially a win on September twenty third. No, 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 no. 
He sat in with the band for a photo shoot for UK music magazine Sounds. But unbeknownst to him, Nirvana had already lined up another drummer, Scream's 21-year-old Dave Grohl. Oh, my God. Why do they keep doing this? I don't know. Like, at this point... It must be like an inside joke with them. We're going to fire someone. Let's take a photo with them. This Let's publicly put them in front of people so everyone knows they're not in the band. I feel like me and you should trade off on Dan Peters and Kurt Cobain okay. here. Uh, who, you, well, you do a good Kurt, so I'll be Dan. You do Dan. All right. There's a lot of shitty stuff I found out about afterwards. I went down to the party the day after I played that show, doing all those pictures for sounds sitting in on an interview and making an idiot of myself. Dave's in the background sitting there all like, doobie doo. <laughs> None of those fucking guys had any balls to tell me. That's what pisses me off. I don't need to feel like an idiot. I'm in fucking mud, honey. Fuck you guys. It wasn't that we were unhappy with Dan's drumming. It was just that Dave has qualities that match our needs a little closer. He takes care of the backing vocals for a start. We were blown away when we saw him playing with Scream, and we agreed that we'd ask him to join Nirvana if we had the chance. Ironically, that chance came a week after we got Danny in. It was a stressful situation, but now it looks like Dan will rejoin Mudhoney and they'll carry on as before. The idea of that band stopping because of Dan coming over to us had caused us considerable stress. It never reached the stage of me leaving Mudhoney! We were supposed to go on a tour of England with L7 after Kurt and Chris got back checking out uh, record labels. Kurt called me up and said, hey, it looks like we're going to go sign with Kevin. (laughs) And I'm like, well, what's up with this trip to England? And he's like, that's what I'm calling about. (laughs) I just want you to know that we got another drummer. We've got Dave. And I was like, well, talk to you later and hung up. I was more relieved than anything. It didn't exactly feel like I'd been having a bonding session with those guys. Why? Why couldn't he just fire him before that? I don't know. Especially if they had already hired Dave. That's just and Dave like, was at the photo shoot in the background? That's just wasted promo photos when you could have just been like, look, go home. We, me and Chris got this. Then, then oh. he just finds out that way when he sees the pictures <laughs> and there's another drummer in them. I asked two girls to the dance and they both said <laughs> yes. What do I do? <laughs> that's so insane. Uh, so yeah, at that, this is the point where Dave Grohl joins the band. They went down and on September 24th, just a few, or September 25th, just a few hours after he auditioned, Kurt went down to Olympia to record four songs with Calvin Johnson's Boy Meets Girl Chaos radio show, which, uh, we actually listened to some of this. Oh yeah, we did. This is where the opinion right song that everyone knows comes from the acoustic one right right yeah but he also played lithium dumb and benison which dumb i thought it's really interesting that he played that yeah it, that, that was that was in that's the way early for that because yeah, that, that was on in utero that was in the chamber for a while yeah yeah uh kurt used uh the opportunity to announce the identity of nirvana's doom drummer here we go again here we go he's a baby dale crover his name is dave grohl and he plays almost as good as dale and with a few years' practice, he may even give him a run for his money. Almost as good as Dale. What an asshole. Jesus Christ. What an asshole. And I also, get it. Yeah. Also, uh, Dave Grohl, I know this is all very subjective, but he is one of the most successful drummers ever 
in the history of, yeah. of music. Yeah. And to say he's like, well, he's almost. And look, I admire Dale Crover. I'm not taking anything away from Dale Crover, but you're shitting on the guy who will go on to surpass your band once you're not around anymore. Yeah. It's fucking insane. So that's that's basically they they had seen each other at that first show, the Scream show. But Dave Grohl said he didn't go up and talk to him, uh, mostly because it seems like he was weirded out by Chris Novoselic. Oh, because he's a giant six foot eight Sasquatch. He said, uh, I was talking to Buzz and Dale in San Francisco, and there was this real huge tall guy going wah, wah, waving his (laughs) arms like Shaggy imitating Robbie the Robot. And there was another guy sitting in a corner like he was taking a shit. (laughs) Chris, who was 6'8", was all over the room drinking and laughing. And Kurt, who was 5'5", I did not know that, was so quiet. Here, This is important. Dave still refers to his old bandmate by the name he first knew him, Chris, not Chris. So Chris is how I met the giant Novoselic. That's right. So I am not obligated to put on the hard T or to throw a K at the front of it. That's right. So that's we wh- yeah. have been grandfathered yeah. in. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck all of y'all. Just like my data plan. Grandfathered in. <laughs> Unlimited use of Chris. So they the three they met again uh, not long afterwards at a party in Olympia thrown by Slim Moon who you might remember was the guy whose band got in a fight right before Nirvana played the show at the dorm at Evergreen College that mm-hmm. did what? Changed everything. It changed everything, Travis. Uh, this is a quote from Slim Moon. Scream was playing in town, and they all came to my party. Uh, puppy. Uh, neither Slim nor Kurt thought too much of Scream as people, especially when Dave started making fun of Toby Vale, who was playing on stage that night. So Toby was a musician? Toby was a musician, okay. yeah. I think she was in L7 or Bikini Kill, one of those oh. two bands. Uh, oh, 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 I bet she was in, uh, I think she was in uh, Bikini Kill. Oh, wait, not probably. Babe. Not Babes in Toilet. Yeah. I think Maybe one of them, yeah. yeah. Probably Bikini Kill because he knew Kathleen Hanna. What's going on? Okay. Yeah. He knew Kathleen <laughs> uh, knew Kathleen Hanna, so, <laughs> damn it. What is she barking at? Maybe he just... Maybe we got the bikini kill thing wrong. Right. Maybe yeah. Well, and he's like, oh, no, El Robin, El Robin, I just don't speak dog. I don't know what's happening. This but with is... Kathleen Hanna wrote the "Smells Like Teen Spirits" thing, I'm gonna say it's yeah. He was also she was Toby was in bikini kill. Makes sense. In the book "Come As You Are," uh, Dave Grohl disparagingly refers to her performance that night as. That sad little girl with the bad fucking songs. Oh, okay. Now I get it. I thought thought that's what he was calling Kurt. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought he was saying about Nirvana when he saw them play. And I was like, why did he join the band? Like, he seems like he hated them. That would be, that would be pretty fantastic. So yeah, they, uh, (laughs) there's a whole bunch of stuff in the book. We'll wrap it up so we can get to the next episode, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in the book about Dave, like meeting them. And then there's a great anecdote about Kurt and Chris picking them up at the airport. Oh, this was weird. Dave offers Kurt an apple, which that's also kind of weird. And then, yeah, it's, uh, well, so Dave, uh, real quick, I'll paraphrase because I found it fascinating. They, what they called him, right? It was kind of like calls back and forth. Yeah. And they were eventually like, yeah, we want you in the band. And, and Dave, who's a Virginian through and through, thought he'd never leave basically buys a copy of Bleach and listens to it 10 times and goes, okay, and yeah. packs up all of his shit, including his 
drum kit into a box and goes across the country to go live in Seattle. Right. And then they're, they're the, he's getting they, picked up at the airport. They pick him up at the airport, and he offers Kurt an apple. And Kurt says, no thanks. It'll make my teeth bleed. Well, then brush your fucking teeth, dude. Holy shit. He was the grunge Eeyore. He was just <laughs> came in. Oh, I can't, can't find my tail. <laughs> it's like that Debbie Downer skit where every time he talks, it just fucking camera goes tight on him and he frowns at the screen. And he goes. <laughs> 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 oh, so, yeah. The first club or the first show Dave played with Nirvana was at the North Shore Surf Club in Olympia on October 11th, 1990. Show sold out with just one day's warning. This is another quote from Slim Moon. The surf club was a large, empty bar that held probably 300 people. The kids were growing crazy for Nirvana. Something happened once Dave Grohl joined. Suddenly, they seem much bigger. Yeah, because they had Dave Grohl in the band. So I think you could say that at that show... Everything, everything changed. changed. It changed everything. Everything changed. You know all the things that had changed before? Those nope. things were different. Yeah, those were different. But now, everything, everything is changing. Changed. Yeah, Fucking everything. butterfly effect. <laughs> changes it all. I mean, if you could go back in time and kill baby Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up with a new mom after this show. What happened? Weird. She was black. Everything changed. <laughs> everything. <laughs> Oh, this was fun. We should uh, we should wrap it up. All so right, we can uh, so we can get to another depressing episode <laughs> next week. Which, if this episode did anything to shake your your uh, your your good favor for Kurt Cobain, wait till next week. Yeah, it gets uh, it's there's more, but, but wait, there's more. But wait, yeah. everything's going to change. Everything, everything. next yeah. week will change everything. And uh, hey, thanks for putting up with our. We we went on break. We had fastball chats. Travis mm-hmm. got sick. I got we real had sick. Scheduling yeah. shit. It got to, got to be a nightmare. But we're back, motherfuckers. We're back. We're back. And I feel like this episode was worth the kind of changed yeah, everything. Kind of changed everything. I Absolutely. think this will be the episode people look back at and go, you know what? They were different. Yeah, after you know, that it's because it <laughs> we finally got rid of that drummer. That we didn't <laughs> That's like. right. Yeah. That's right. We yeah. killed our drummer. <laughs> Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I do. I will be at the LA Podcast Festival October 8th in uh, the Millennium Biltmore downtown in Hollywood. I do another podcast. It's not an unpop show, so I try not to mention it too often. (laughs) I don't care. Um, But uh, I will be there doing my show, Quick Question, and uh, we will have celebrity chef Michael Voltaggio uh, as our guest. So Very nice. If you're a fan of podcasts, it's a three-day event, and there's a lot of awesome shows on that. What the fuck with Mark Maron's going to be there. Uh, My Favorite Murderer with Karen Kilgariff, uh, the Jackie and Lori show, Dork Forest, all the big, big, big uh, podcasts will be there and me. So I mean, come, except, yeah. except unpopular opinion. I had no say in it. I had no, zero no, say. That, that, yeah. it's, I mean, it's their loss. Sure. Uh, yeah. It's also, I, I think, the last one. So you're, you're fine. Nah, yeah. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Uh, what do we got going on? We have, you can come see me at Flappers October 17th. <sighs> come see me do Flappers for the first time as a comedian living in Los Angeles. I am (laughs) biting my tongue extremely hard because I am not unprofessional. (laughs) Uh, That's all I have to say about that. But Uh, uh, do go see Adam. Adam is worth going to a place that I normally would not go to see. (laughs) Come see me and definitely uh, message me for free tickets because they're spendy. Wait, you mean... No, I'm not not biting my tongue. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave it alone. What, What happened? I will tell you when we're... I'll tell you in between. I'll tell you in between. That's what I'll do. I'll tell you in between. Okay. 
Also, uh, we have a live podcast and Halloween party October 28th at the Hollywood Hotel, 9 p.m. Come out to that. We're, uh, we're recording a live podcast with me, Jeff, Quincy, and Carrie. We're doing a little stand-up beforehand with Connor and Keith and Chet Wild so far. Might add some more people. You want to come do stand-up? Uh, 28th? 28th, Saturday night. Yeah. If you don't have shows. I don't think I do. See if you have shows. Yeah. If you don't have shows, come see Travis at that. It's I'll be there. Be, where It's going to be also a Halloween party. Wear, wear a costume. We're going to be giving out prizes arbitrarily for co- costumes we like. There's going to be no rhyme or reason to it. Just, hey, we like that here. Nice. That's uh, the way a costume contest should go. It should, yeah. yeah. We're just going to fucking throw prizes at people. Come as Kurt Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, please. Any don't. version that you want. You pick the version of Kurt Cobain you want With to be. With Mean Boys fans coming, <laughs> please don't come as Kurt Cobain. We don't need an incident. Actually, do that. Yeah, yeah it'll be kind of funny. Okay. It'll be worth the candy bar we give you or whatever it is. You know, it'll be fun. All right. Let's get out of here. Travis, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs>